0: So, um, here we are for the Sunday of Advent, um, I want to tell a couple of stories about babies, since we're about, you know, Advent's about a baby, um, one more interesting than the other, I guess, but they illustrate something for us, um. Well, one is just kind of something that happened this week. Alan and I were having coffee this week, and um, when Alan was in line, there was this lady with a stroller, a little, I don't know, a big enough baby boy that he could sit up and look around. This baby boy was just really taken with Alan. (laughs) You know. So Alan's, you know, doing grandpa talk, The baby and they come over and sit beside us, but they're behind Alan. And then the baby saw me and realized I was much more attractive than Alan. And he's, I don't know what he realized. Actually, I do know what he realized. The mom was just laughing at this whole scene, and the mom looks at me and she says, I'm not sure what it is, but he's just really captivated by facial hair. (laughs) And because Alan keeps his face trim more than I do and I'm lazier than he is. Um, He was just staring and so here we were two grown men you know talking about weighty theological biblical matters. Hey hey you you know just doing the whole thing and he's just laughing and smiling. What is it about that? It's so therapeutic. I always tell people a baby is a sign that God has not given up on planet earth yet, right? (laughs) Um, But it it just, it made me think of something else. Like, that's illustration number one of my sermon. Illustration number one is um, you don't like to yell or argue a baby into smiling at you, right? We did not apply, you know, hey, kid, I said smile, laugh. I'm trying to get you to laugh. Would you laugh? Come on right? That's, that's not how you get... If you've been trying that, it's, it doesn't work, right? They might do it just to get you to go away. Um, but it reminded me of a second story. I totally forgot about this, and Kelly and I had a great time talking about this. Um, one time when, when Karis was just a little baby infant, um, we were in Window Rock, Arizona, which is the, the capital of the Navajo Nation, and I was there preaching in a church of Navajo Indians, and... Um, We heard there was someone there with a baby. And one of the things we learned was that among the Navajo people, there's something known as, as baby's first laugh. And it's a very, very big deal when a baby laughs for the first time. Because the Navajos see that as, as this little child's entrance into the world, entrance into a man. You've laughed now, you're one of us. And when that happens, they throw the baby a party. They invite all the family in, and a big party happens. It's the baby's first laugh party. But there's a catch. Whoever makes the baby laugh first has to throw the party. <laughs> so there we were in church, right? And everybody's there. I think there was like this fellowship meal, and these elderly Navajo lady were, were speaking in Navajo to each other, and they were making this fry bread that was out of this world, and, and there was this lady who had this baby, and this is no lie, this is how it works. This other person walks up, and before they even made eye contact with the baby, they said to the mom, has your baby laughed yet? And if the answer is no, it's like, okay. Because nobody wants to have to pay for a party, for this kid and his family, so you will literally see people with a smile on their face, just kind of go, "Well, I'm not going to be the first to make it laugh," you know. And they're just kind of like, "Cute baby, you know, oh, she's she's precious, <laughs> right?" <laughs> it's is what's the weirdest thing to see somebody walk up and say, "Has your baby laughed yet?" No. <laughs> Has your baby laughed yet? If you ever hear that question, you know what that is. And that, and that is an illustration, two of those things illustrate. Uh, number one, how love is created. Number two, what love is and what love does. I probably should tackle the second question first, but I'm, put, I'm putting them in reverse order. It's an illustration of how love happens, how love created in us, and then what love is and what love does. Um, how is love created? How does it happen? What even is love and what stops it from happening? And we all know that when the people were trying to catch Jesus saying the wrong thing, the big question was going to be what's, what's commandment number one like at the top of the list? Um, and Jesus, we know the answer. Love the Lord your God and your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one is right there with it. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we all, you don't, you don't have to live on planet Earth and be around other humans very long to know that this is just impossible. Right, like, why couldn't he make it something like sing? You want to know what the number one commandment is? Sing. Oh, whew, I can do that. I do that in my car all the time. I do that in the shower. Whew, thank you for something easy. No, he made it love. He made it something not just hard, he made it something impossible. And then he made it something that would capture every other commandment in it, where if you're loving, you're keeping the other commandments, and if you're breaking the other commandments, you're breaking love. And the commandment that we will make, we will find all sorts of reasons not to love. (laughs) Yeah, but if you knew that person as if God doesn't know that person, right? Well, yeah, but if you knew, if you just, if you understood, as if God doesn't understand, right? And here, God takes this difficult thing and he puts it at the core motivation of everything. It's like, wow. So there it is, this impossible, impossible thing. Love, it's the core of Christmas, it's at the core of the commands, at the top of the list. For God so loved, it's at the heart of God's heart, right? And then we read our scripture earlier, which is where we're going to be in 1 John 4. I know someone mentioned, oh, we're back in 1 John. Didn't we just leave 1 John? It was actually longer ago than maybe you were thinking. Um, But it does seem familiar, doesn't it? And it's going to be fairly brief, which means this will probably go a while. But anyway, um, if we just breeze through this text... It is amazing at the little phrases that tell us how love happens for us. Let me just run through the phrases. It says that love comes from God. Love is for those born of God. Love is for those who know God. Love lives in us. Love is made complete in us. We live in him and he lives in us by his spirit. We live in God and he in us. We know and rely on his love for us. Third time, we live in God and he in us. We we are made complete in love. We love because he first loved us. Do you see how love happens for us because he is doing something not just to us and not just For us, he's doing something in us. Like there is this absolutely impossible thing that must happen. We want it to happen. But it comes from God. And it's inside out. And it's by his spirit. It's his fruit. It's him living in us. And we rely on him to do it. It's it's him being alive in us. It's him completing something in us. I'm going to put a quote up here, if you don't mind, please, Colleen. Um, Oops, do the next one. That was actually a quote from another theologian. Um, This is from a book um, called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. He's loved this book. Um, But he's describing how we become loving people. And look at that first line. We are loved into loving. God's gracious initiative in the incarnation, that is in the the word becoming flesh and Jesus Christ walking among us, is the provoking smile of a creator who meets us in the flesh. Granting even the grace that allows us to love him in return. The creator of the universe meets us in his son become flesh. Jesus is the smile of God. So, The Son becomes flesh, walks among us. The Creator meets us in the flesh. And in doing so, He gives grace that allows us to love Him in return. We are loved into loving, right? That is how a mom does it with a baby, right? A mom might have a newborn, and a mom might smile at that newborn for weeks before something is awakened in the heart of her baby. And it's like that mom's love brings love out of the baby, and the baby is awakened with knowledge that, oh, this is my mom and she takes care of me and she does good things for me. If I want anything good, this lady's going to give it to me. And she does these weird noises and sounds and she smiles at me. And you know what? That just makes me want to smile back at her. And so one day it happens. (laughs) Right? The mom doesn't argue the baby into a smile. The mom doesn't even say, hey, I'm cutting off the love at 20 diapers. (laughs) 20 diapers and I'm done with this love thing. That's all the stink I can handle from you. I take care of you. That's all the appreciation you show me. Right? That's just not how it works. A baby is loved into loving. We are loved into loving. Did you see what it says? We love because he first loved us, which is not just, well, his love came first. It's because he loved us first. His love is the power and the motivation behind our even ability to love. So where does love come from? It comes from God. And it comes from Jesus taking that gracious initiative which comes to now. What even is love? Because it says here, we love one another, love one another, love one another, but then it says that we read for communion, he sent his son to be a son, an atoning sacrifice. As a matter of fact, three times in this passage, it uses the word sent. 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 Love initiates love moves towards if you could put that other definition of love up there i got this from another famous scholar um his name's alan bryant this is this is (laughs) this is don't shake your head come on this is a this is an amazing definition of love he could even say it in albanian right now if you'd like him to just wait no let's not let's wait after the service um i love this because it seems to get it all there together Love is an internal motivation that leads me to give myself in a sacrificial way for the good of another person, regardless of the cost to me or the merit of the person or the response I might receive. So I've got this internal motivation that says I'm going to give myself, I'm going to sacrifice myself for your good, no matter what it might cost me, no matter how much I think you don't deserve it or deserve it or whatever that comes into play, and no matter how I think you're going to respond to my giving myself to you. That's a great definition of love because that is what God did when, he used, when we talk about it, he sent, he sent, he sent. God motivated himself to give his only son in the most sacrificial way for our good at all the cost to him Not on our merit, not because he looked down and said, now those are people worth dying for. No, while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. And not just until he knew he was gonna have a 100% positive response. No. So love initiates, love moves towards. That's love. And then in this, you see why it says there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Do you, do you see how fear gets in and messes this all up? Right? I want good for this other person, but what if it cost me too much? What if they don't respond in a way that I want them to? What if I realize they're more undeserving than I ever even thought they were? Love, the perfect love of God comes in, changes us, moves us to where his love conquers fear. When it says God is love, one of the things it's saying is God has no fear. (laughs) Do you ever think of that? God is fearless. I mean, He sacrificed way more. He knows the lack of merit, He knows the response. God could have more reason to fear than anybody in this room, but he is love. It is who he is. And so God takes the initiative. He loves us first while we were his enemies. He loved us. Makes our love for each other possible. He initiates. He says, fear has to do with this is a punishment judgment so there's there it is in our hearts okay, if I sacrifice for this person what if what if I feel their condemnation in return? what if I feel silly what if I feel stupid what if they don't receive it the way I want them to what if other people look at me and say, well that person's kind of an idiot for giving love in that situation what what about what if 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 they don't receive it what if what if So many what ifs, and we just kind of shrink into ourselves in fear. Why? Because we're afraid of the punishment, the the condemnation that we will feel. So when we go back up to the beginning of the text and we realize that God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice and we realize there is no condemnation from the one who matters most, what in the world other condemnation is going to make a difference? perfect love drives out the fear so two questions and then just an exhortation like what's the fear <laughs> like just, here we are going through the world is that baby laughed yet <laughs> shrinking back <laughs> i want to get to right What's the fear? Um, and I know we've got it. I mean, we, we were in here praying on Wednesday night, and we were, we were talking about um, this idea of, of being wholehearted for Jesus. And, and I, was, I was asking the question, what is it that keeps us from being wholehearted? And I went first, and I said, fear. So I've got it. I'm not Mr. Fearless up here talking. And other people were like, yeah, that's mine too, Fear. Fear of what if, what if it's not really God? What if this person doesn't respond? What, 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 what fear of being wholehearted? What, what? But what's, what is the fear? Take a moment to ponder that. What's the fear that keeps me from initiating with the other person of seeking forgiveness, of seeking reconciliation, of just seeking the good of another person, of a neighbor? What's the fear And then just, let's put a face on it. Who is it? Who is it for you? Like, whose rejection scares you the most? That might be the place you dive in, right? That that might be where the battle is most heated. And that might be where you just take a really, maybe a first small step of some sort of, of sacrifice of giving of good on their behalf and say, I don't even know because I'm not omniscient. I don't know how it's gonna be received. I don't wanna make predictions. I hate being a person who tries to make predictions. I'm not gonna make predictions. I'm not gonna talk about how undeserving or deserving or whatever they are. I'm just gonna take a small step of love for their good. But I think really big here is is in knowing that if it's God at work in us, then I have to surrender myself to being made a loving person. And that is frightening. Like, what if God goes overboard? Like, God, can you just start, like, making me a little bit loving? Can you make me kind of loving? Can you just make me a little friendly and nice? (laughs) You know, that definition of love, that's pretty out there. Like, Surely God wouldn't go overboard with this whole thing, right? But what if we just surrendered and said, God, just make me a loving person, right? Just not that person, no. What if it's that person, right? Just a a state of just, okay, God, my hands are empty. Help me to love. Help me to love. Whatever the cost... I perceive to be merit. Whatever I think the response might be, help me to give for the other's good. Give me that internal motivation. Let's pray that together. Can we pray that together now? Lord, just, we just take a moment to surrender to the Holy Spirit, to surrender to the one who is loved, It's you, God. We surrender to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And you're doing a work in us that's that's not yet complete, but you are completing us. And you're completing us in love. It means the day is coming when the job will be done. And when the job is done in the presence of Jesus and we are perfect people, we will be perfectly loving. And I don't even know what that's going to feel like or be like, but it's going to be amazing. And so you're in charge of the project, God, so we just, we want to surrender right now to being made a loving people. That's how the world's going to know that we're disciples, the way we love. And Lord, Lord, some of us already know the cost. Some of us already see a face. Lord, you're going to have to do this work in us, or it's just not going to get done. But God, we all have some sort of fear, and I pray that your love would cast it out. Lord, we can't help us not to just fixate on the fear, but to just surrender to your love. God, has, has the world yet to see what you would do with a church filled with people who are living out that definition of love? Has the world seen that? I'm not sure if the world would even know what to do. We want to be that people. So right here, here's the spot, here's the place. We're surrendered to it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray.